Men, thank you for coming this evening for the Man Up course in December. And this evening we're going to be discussing a man's responsibility in leading the way in the church. As you see the notes there, leading the way in the church. And the first question that I have that I want all of us to consider is this. Why is the church important? Why is the church important? When it comes to the Christian life, the question of the church's importance is perhaps one that is too often overlooked. The idea of church is often assumed. Churches persist. Church members regularly or not so regularly attend, and things proceed on course. But how often do we stop and think, why is the church so important? And by the way, thank you guys. I know you believe this. I know you're committed to it. You're here. Thanks. Um, but I know we all need to be reminded in it. And there may be some that might be listening to this right now that perhaps don't quite have this conviction. And so my prayer tonight is that God would give us that conviction from His Word. And, and so why is the church important? That's one question. And what is the purpose of the church? That's another question. And so to answer these questions, I think, will provide us with direction for how we should lead the way in the church. And I think that's key, how we should lead the way in the church. The future of the church is obviously in God's hands. But, humanly speaking, men, men, I believe, are the key to the church. I'm speaking to men. I believe if you go back to the very beginning, uh, if men don't lead, we've got a real problem. Obviously, God leads. Obviously, there are godly women. Thank God for these godly women and godly women for much of the church and for many, many centuries have wonderfully served. But guys, I believe it is, it is God's order that men lead. So, the future of Palm Vista will rise or fall based on our involvement and our passion. The future of Palm Vista will rise or fall based on our involvement and our passion. And uh, I'm convinced of that. Now, yes, God's sovereign. Yes, Jesus builds His church. Uh, but somehow God's sovereignty and man's responsibility... Uh, exist very nicely in Scripture. That tension is there. So I can say that knowing that God is, is the one who ultimately determines whether Pombus arises or falls, or any church. But humanly speaking, we're responsible. And so what I want to do is underneath that first point, why is the church important? Let's take a look at this question. What is the ultimate purpose of the church? And if you see a guy come in a little bit late, would you make sure he gets a note? There you go. And if guys come in a little bit, can some of you take permission to get him, give him notes? So what is the ultimate purpose of the church? Under why is the church important? What is the ultimate purpose of the church? Well, it's the glory of God, obviously. Um, Let me just say this. Our purpose in Scripture is to glorify God, to image Him. You know, different confessions have said it differently. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God, enjoy Him forever. But, But the bottom line is what Scripture says. We're made in God's image, and so we are to image Him. That brings Him glory. Now, obviously, we've rebelled. The Bible's clear about that. But in the midst of our rebellion, God has always had throughout history His people. So let's just start in the Old Testament. Let's look at Exodus 19. And let's just trace. What are we, what are we, what's the question we're answering? Why is the church important? And, and, and that the question that follows after that is, what is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is to glorify God. Man in his rebellion does not want to glorify God, but, 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 God throughout history, has always had a people for himself. 
And he's called that people to himself. He's gathered them together to worship him and bring glory to his name. So someone please read Exodus 19, 4-6. You know what? Bad idea because we're taping this. I'll read Exodus 19, 4-6. Exodus 19, 4-6. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Obviously, we're talking here about the Exodus. We're talking about God bringing the, the Hebrew people out of Egypt. And uh, so he's speaking to them now. His people, he's forming his people. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God constituted his people then, and how did he do it? He brought them. He brought them out of slavery, but he brought them in. He brought them into, ultimately, the promised land. But where did he constitute his people? Major next step for his people. Yes, he called Abraham. But now this is, this is several over a thousand years later, I think, uh, where he brings them to Mount Sinai. And what does he do at Mount Sinai? Gives them the, the law, his law word. So his people are constituted. This, this idea of a, of a people and God's covenant is taking shape. And, and so he brings the law through Moses. And he constitutes a people. And so he says to them, if you, if you, will, if you will keep my will, if you will uh, obey my voice and keep my covenant, you'll be my treasured possession. Okay, so as we trace redemptive history, we see, right, the Old Testament is a story of God's people. And God's people often, often failing, but God's promise that he'd bring a savior through God's people. Will God's people make it? Will they survive? Will they be extinguished because of their sin? They're going to go into exile. He's going to bring them back. You know, what's going to happen? And, and so it brings us up to the New Testament and what we're celebrating now, obviously the coming of Christ, but then the New Testament. Okay? So we see in the New Testament here that believers living after Christ have the even greater privilege of joining together to enjoy and proclaim the pinnacle of God's saving acts, the death of Christ on the cross for our sins. And in that, he forms us. We're, we're his people. So let me just read to you Ephesians 1, 3 through 8. Blessed be the God, Ephesians 1, 3 through 8. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, he chose us in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, notice this, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Now, this is Ephesians. Now we go to Peter, go to 1 Peter 2. I do want you to go to 1 Peter 2, please, verses 9 and 10. And you're going to see now, Peter is going to quote from Exodus. Why? Because it's God's people. It's one people, one God. It's one covenant. It's rolling through history, redemptive history. It's becoming more and more clear, but God's always wanted a people for himself to bring him glory. And notice what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. See that? People for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what God began, actually began, really, at the very 
Adam and Eve when he promised Christ to come. But what he really began when he chose Abraham, he says, this is a people, this are my people. And, and we see it take shape in, in, at, at, the, at, the, uh, at the Exodus at Mount Sinai. We see a, a, a fulfillment of this, of this redemptive promise in Christ. And then we see Peter in 1 Peter 2 quote Exodus 19 and say, this is the church. This is the church. It's always been one people. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about men making the church a priority. We're talking about men leading the way in the church. But first they have to have a vision for the church. So we have to answer the question, why is the church important? And this first point we've looked at in your notes there is the ultimate purpose of the church is the glory of God. That's A under point Roman numeral 1. Now B. Why is the church important? B under Roman numeral 1 in your notes. The exclusive role of the church. The church is God's chosen means for carrying out his purposes until he returns. He has ordained no other organization or structure for this purpose. Where do we, where do we read this? Matthew 16, 18. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then in 1 Timothy 3.15, the Apostle Paul now writing the pastoral epistles, he's writing to a pastor, Timothy, and listen to what he says to him, 1 Timothy 3.15. If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, note this, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The pillar and foundation of the truth. Guys, if, if we don't have a vision for the church... And we don't, if that doesn't burn brightly in our hearts, then we don't have a vision for what God's doing on earth. We don't have a vision for His glory. We don't have a vision for the pillar and support and foundation of the truth. And I know you do, by the way. Thank you again for being here. But it, it can be eroded. It can be eroded because pastors oftentimes don't do a good job of pastoring. It can be eroded because of the world's values getting in us. It can be eroded through many, many things. People sinning against you in the church. You sinning against other people in the church. Uh, it can be eroded by your own sin. But we've got to fight for this. We've got to die on this hill. This is the hill that we fight for and die on. I love Jesus. He first loved me. That means I love his church, his body, his people. I, we are his people. And I'm going to do everything I can to encourage folks to come and worship together with a vision of what we are, we're to, what we're to be. No time to go into this. In fact, we're going to preach through Ephesians starting in January. But this whole idea of Ephesians 4, where he talks about together we present to our, our culture uh, this mature man. He's not talking about just an individual talking about us right he's talking about us okay so hopefully we're answering this question why is the church important roman numeral two why should i make the church a priority roman number two why should i make the church a priority does it really matter if i personally make the church a priority am i not already a member of the church isn't my personal relationship with jesus what really matters these questions are common they're not surprising Surprising given our individualistic culture and, and natural tendencies towards independence. However, such questions also reveal a misunderstanding about the church and God's purposes in and through the church. The scriptures make it clear, guys, that God's specific purposes for his people are accomplished as individuals join themselves to and participate in local churches. And our church will only go as far as the men in our church make serving her a priority in their lives. And again, caveat, caveat, Jesus builds his church. 
God is sovereign. I understand that. But again, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, they exist together in tension. God's sovereignty trumps man's uh, will every time, but man is responsible. How we live on this earth matters. It matters here, and I believe it matters in eternity. I mean, this is probably one of the greatest truths, young, young men here, that you could ever hear. Because the lie is, it doesn't really matter. And um, it's a lie not just for young men, but for older men. It, it matters. It matters profoundly. It matters profoundly. So under that Roman numeral two, why should I make the church part of priority? Capital A. <clears throat> Capital A. While all genuine believers are members of the universal body of Christ, they are to express this tangibly through meaningful membership in the local church. Meaningful membership. So we're all members of the universal. If you're a true believer, you're a member of the universal body of Christ. We're in the body of Christ. Yes, of course. But biblically, the, the biblical pattern, well, number one under capital A, passionate church membership is the biblical pattern. It was the clear practice of the early church. Look at There was no Christian who was saved and not part of a church, meaningfully. And for them, it cost them. Cost them. Acts 2.27, And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. So converts were added to a specific group of fellow believers. Acts 5.13, None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. So, so believers obviously were a discernible group. A discernible group of people to which other believers joined themselves. So, so it, it, the passionate church membership is the biblical pattern. It's the practice of the early church. And think about it, it's the necessary condition for pastoral care. Pastoral care. Acts 20, 28. Acts 20, 28. Paul, speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus that Timothy was pastoring when he wrote the pastoral epistles, says this to them. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So pastors are responsible to care for an identifiable group of people, and they will give an account for those committed to their care. And I would just say this, it's not just pastors. I would say that you're responsible to care. We just finished this lengthy uh, series on one another's. Corey did a great job when he preached on speak the truth, speak the word, the word of Christ to one another. Um, there, there's so many passages that we could go to that it's not just the pastor. There is pastoral care, but it's one another. You know, bear one another's burdens and, thus, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is what? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so, and so we, we're made... We're made, ultimately, to be a part of the church. That, but, but everything within our culture and within our, our, our own sinful nature would rebel against that. And we're made to bring glory to God. And this is how we bring glory to God. Yeah, and then, and then next, it's the assumed context for church discipline. We're still talking about the church. We're talking about why you should make it a priority. We're on Roman, or capital A. Genuine believers are to be part of a local church, and we're still under point number one under there. The passionate church membership is the biblical pattern. Why? Because it's the assumed context for church discipline. When you read Matthew 18, 
You read 1 Corinthians 5, they both describe situations in which believers are to confront other believers who are persisting in a sinful way of life. And this can only refer to a situation in which Christians are joined together in identifiable membership that is committed to live a godly lifestyle distinct from the world. Clearly. And we're still under this point of of passionate church membership as a biblical pattern. It's... It's, it's clear in all of the biblical metaphors describing the church. Now, I do want you to jot these down. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Temple. Temple, Ephesians 2, 21. Temple, Ephesians 2, 21. Household. Household. 1 Timothy 3, 15. So we'll stop. Body. Those of you who are challenged in writing. Body. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Temple. Ephesians 2, 21. Study that one, because we're going to be hitting that one in this series on Ephesians. Household. Household. 1 Timothy 3.15. Household. 1 Timothy 3.15. And flock. We just read it. Acts 20.28. What do they all have in common, guys? All these things have one thing in common. Individuals joined together in a single entity. Got some notes at home. Individuals joined together in a single entity. Ricardo. Individuals joined together. We're on Roman numeral 2. Corey, help him out there, bro. Come on, man. Roman numeral 2 there. <clears throat> All right. So what do we have there is, is the key characteristics. You have individuals joined together into a single entity. Friends, if those are the metaphors in Scripture for the body, right? Do I need to even finish that sentence? Probably not, right? Okay. All right, 2. We're still under, why should I make the church a priority, capital A, because genuine believers are part of the universal body, but they have to be meaningfully members of a local church. Two under that, passionate church membership is vital to our spiritual health and growth. You have that in your notes there. Passionate church membership is vital to our spiritual health and growth. We're going to be preaching on this, but I love this passage in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Without being joined together with other believers, we lack the strength and nourishment that each member, including ourselves, is to supply. So, so we've got to have that. And then the, the fourth point there, is passionate church membership enables us to glorify God. Passionate church membership enables us to glorify God. I love this, this, uh, this scripture in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. See, I give you these scriptures, guys. Why? Because I don't want you to just listen to what I'm saying and say, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I want you to study for yourselves, to be students of this. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. There's another one of those one another's. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks or oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right? So why should I make the church a priority? Capital A, because we are called to be meaningfully involved, meaningfully members of a local church. Capital B, 
under Roman numeral two, all Christians have the privilege and responsibility to be a vital member of a specific local church. All Christians have the privilege and responsibility to be a vital member of a specific local church. Jot down 1 Corinthians 12, 18. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So God has arranged the parts in the body. God has arranged us into the church. We've been baptized, in a sense, into his body. And so, and so this, is, this is what Scripture teaches us. I love this quote from Spurgeon. You don't have it in your notes, but uh, just listen. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, I know there are some who say, well, I have given myself to the Lord, but I do not intend to give myself to any church. Now, why not? Well, because I can be a Christian without it. Are you quite clear about that? You can be a, as good a Christian by disobedience to your Lord's commands as by being obedient. There is a brick. What is it made for? To help build a house. It is of no use for that brick to tell you that it is just as good a brick while it is kicking about on the ground as it would be in the house. It is a good-for-nothing brick. So, you Rolling Stone Christians, I do not believe that you are answering your purpose. You are living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live, and you are much to blame for the injury you do. I heard an amazing statistic today. Amazing. Don't know if it's true, but I heard it is. Uh, although I, the guy who gave me the statistics said he quoted it from an Albert Moeller article, and I would think Mr. Moeller, Dr. Moeller, would research these things before he prints them. He's saying South Florida, and he's got to be taken from the Palm Beaches down to the Keys. Okay, roughly seven million is what he's saying, and he's saying that in that group, less than two percent are Christians, evangelical Christians, okay, which I f forgot the number, so 2% of 7 million would be 240,000, 140,000, 140,000, 140,000, that's astounding, that's astounding, that's astounding, now we know God is sovereign in these things, we know that. But I, you know, I, I just I want to I, I just believe in like Paul, you know, when he was in Corinth and he was like going, well, I'm out of here, man. God, God said, don't leave. I still have my people here. They're just, you know, still in darkness. And so you stay and preach the gospel. And so uh, South Florida is a crazy place. But we're called in South Florida to preach the gospel by being a part of the church and being active. And for those that are listening to my voice, that means that we lead the way. That means that we lead the way. That means that it's a priority for me. That I'm not going because my wife says we need to go. I'm not going because, you know, I just want to make sure the kids grow up in church. No, no. I'm passionate. I'm crazy passionate about this. Because my kids are going to catch this. I could beat it into them. I could yell at them. I could threaten them. But what they're going to catch is what Dad's passionate about. You know, my daughters, which it's wasted on, well, I won't say that. My daughters are passionate about Gator football. Okay? Now, this is sad. They should be passionate about other things. I think they are passionate about other things. But, I mean, Saturdays, they're looking for the remote. They're trying to find the Gators game somewhere. Why? Because since they were little girls, what did they see Dad doing? Yelling at the TV, throwing things at the TV, you know, getting in a bad mood when the Gators lost. Okay? Well, I mean, it's, it's funny, but it's true. Right? Our kids watch what we are passionate about. May, may they see me much more passionate about the Lord and His church. And men, if we're not, it's not going to happen. Now, God can do it sovereignly.
All right, we're going to end this teaching part before I do, we switch into, we're going to sing something or actually listen to a song, and then we're going to do an interview with a, a mysterious hidden guest. Uh, but uh, let me just, okay, so, so Palm Vista. I just felt like, let's just get this out on the, on the table. Palm Vista, who are we and what, what defines us? What do your notes say? Who are we and what defines us, right? Who are we and what are our defining values? Well said, Joseph. All right, so who are we? It's in your notes there. We are evangelical. This basically means two things. We believe that the Bible is God's word and is therefore our final authority in all matters of life and doctrine. And we believe people need to be saved by responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a broad definition. We are essentially reformed. What does that mean? It means that all of us got in trouble as young men and we went to reform school. No. Here's what it means. This means that we embrace the general tenets of reformed theology, a view of the teaching of scripture that places God at the center of all things and places emphasis on the activity of God and the glory of God in saving sinners. Now, there's so much there, more there that can be said, but general. We are continuists. What does this mean? This means that we believe in the present-day work of the Holy Spirit in the many ways that the Spirit is described and manifested in Scripture. And we are part of a family of churches under the name of Sovereign Grace Ministries. The churches within Sovereign Grace are linked together by relationship and common doctrine, and we work together in a common passion to proclaim the gospel through the planting of churches. All right, so these labels, they suggest some broad characteristics of Palm Vista, uh, our standard for all that we do is the Bible. That's why I'm harping on you guys to write down these scriptures. Uh, the Word of God and certain components of the Bible's teaching have become have come to be particularly precious to us, and these are reflected in the following core commitments of this church. Ready? The Gospel. The Gospel is our central message and the lens through which we view life. This finds expression in our confidence in the Gospel to transform lives and our heart for evangelism as a foundation for our sanctification, as a source of our joy in God, as an impetus for worship, and I would add, in doing good works in our city, which we're going to hear about in a couple of months. Gospel is Jesus Christ. His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension. Holy Spirit. To be a part of Palm Vista is to value the active presence of God in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This finds expression in our emphasis on corporate worship, our appreciation of and earnest desire for spiritual gifts, times of personal ministry in home groups, and after the Sunday meeting, and an overall desire to cultivate a lifestyle of faith-filled dependence upon God. You know, when it says in Ephesians that don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, I mean, it's just so, it's so clear, that little, that little metaphor there. When you're drunk with wine, you're, you're controlled by wine. But no, don't, don't be controlled by that. Be controlled by the Spirit. Passion for God. To be a part of Palm Vista is to cultivate growing affections for God. We never want our relationship with God to become passive or apathetic, but we desire to be ever-growing in our love for our Savior. This finds expression in our corporate worship, our intentional pursuit of the spiritual disciplines, our love for God's Word, the joy and gratitude that we seek to cultivate. Hopefully, this will be seen in all that we do as a church. So that, so that what I love about what David is doing and Corey is overseeing this area and David and Corey doing a great job with the youth, is that it's not just like, oh, let's just have youth that don't get in trouble. Or let's just have youth that, like, you know, obey your parents and don't give them a hard time. No, no. The, the, the desire is, is youth that, that are passionate for God, which is totally countercultural. Uh, and so I'm really grateful for what these guys are doing. They really are. It's, it's wonderful. It's exciting. I'm, I'm in much faith for the future. Sanctification. 
sanctification, to be a part of Palm Vista is to pursue growth in godliness. This finds expression in our emphasis on small groups, our pursuit of biblical fellowship, and our desire to apply the truth of God in our lives in every way possible. Evangelism and mission. To be a part of Palm Vista is to be constantly reminded of our privilege and responsibility to obey the Great Commission, to make disciples by sharing the gospel individually and corporately. This finds expression in evangelism training, Christianity Explored, which we're not doing at this time, outreaches, free car washes, and countless faithful expressions of care and witness by the members of Palm Vista, and I think works of mercy in our community, which we need to grow in, and again, you're going to hear more about that. Sound doctrine. To be a part of Palm Vista is to value sound doctrine. To grow in our knowledge of biblical truth and to apply this truth to our lives. I think David has the youth reading Bible doctrine and talking about the Trinity, talking about Scripture, the doctrine of Scripture, talking about uh, the sovereignty of God, and, and just talking about these things and, and challenging these men and women to read these things and, and, and ask God to give them understanding. So this finds expression in our commitment to Scripture, our high view of preaching, the emphasis on application of truth in our home groups, our training classes, and even in our book table yeah, you get that. Relationships. To be a part of Palm Vista is to value and to be committed to relationships as both a source of joy and a channel of God's grace. This finds expression in our home groups, our pursuit of biblical fellowship, our emphasis on family life, marriage and parenting training, our appreciation of and care for singles, the practice of hospitality in countless other ways. And, you know, may I just add, you know, you two guys and your families, uh, Mickey and Cal, just... Have, have put on a clinic on hospitality for us, man. Seriously. I mean, we thought we were hospitable, but we ain't seen nothing, man. And I, I'm excited about it because it's very biblical. And thanks. And that's building the church, man. You're, you're leading the way, man. So, thanks. I just recently uh, <clears throat> read a paper, read a, uh, yeah, an article from a history journal about George Washington. Talk about somebody who put on a clinic on hospitality. Mm. That man at his home in Mount Vernon when he wasn't away at war. Mm -hmm. He had an average of about six people as guests any given day. Amazing. Every day. Amazing. All the time, day in and day out, for Amazing. years in a row. And people would show up unannounced, unexpected. They were just brought into the home, added to the table for the meal. Amazing. And they would typically stay three, four, five days in a row. Amazing. I, I read that. I and, it just, and it just, and it's I felt like yeah. such a piker. Yeah. Well, and it strikes at the heart of our selfishness, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, so he's like, get out of here, man. You know, I don't want you here anymore. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Servanthood. Servanthood. To be a part of Palm Vista is to embrace the value of servanthood. Jesus calls all his followers to embrace. Servanthood is the, true mar is the mark of true greatness, and we are blessed at Palm Vista with an abundance of true servants. This finds expression in a wide variety of ministry teams, small groups, our cultivation of spiritual gifts, and in an endless array of both formal church contexts and informal settings. All right, what's the mission of Palm Vista? In essence, our mission is none other than that given by our Lord in the Great Commission, as stated in Matthew 28, 16 to 20, we're to make disciples with the gospel. I'm just going to read it, Matthew 28, 16 to 20. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So guys, what I want us to do right now is, I want us to listen to a song. I don't think I have enough for everybody, but every, every two guys can get this. These are the lyrics to the song.
And as you listen to this song, what I want you to do is I want you to think about this. As you lead, as you lead not just your families and your children, but as you lead others that are watching your life to the church, there, there will be there will be a revival. And I, I'm convinced of this. Listen, the least likely person to be in a church today, A, someone probably living in South Florida, <laughs> but B, a young man from the age of 18 to 28. Where are the young men 18 to 28? I'll tell you where they are. They're following the example they saw. Now, I understand. Listen, you hear me with the, with the sovereignty thing, right? God's sovereign, you hear that? God elects, you hear that? But we are responsible. We will be held responsible. God will, look, will ask us, what did we do? Romans 10 says that. Now, God saves them, but if there isn't a preacher, they don't get saved. I don't understand it either. I hear you. I think I just woke chaos up. But, but, but guys, we've got to set the standard. So I love this song. It's called House of the Lord. It is one of my favorites. Hopefully, you'll like it too. We've just lost all the notes. All right, so just to set this up. We're doing the, uh, we're doing the um, interview slash sort of like testimony part of this. And uh, I've asked David Bush to talk about the influence his father Jack had on his life. Kipper, his brother's here. There's other young men here that are influenced as well to serve in the church. Fernando, Patrick, all you guys, David. You, you guys, all you. When I, when I, when I'm, I guess I'm, I'm highlighting you guys because I know for like my son, They'll, they'll see myself and some of the older guys here, and they'll say, like, yeah, they're supposed to do that. But when they see a younger guy, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you understand that you, your age, okay, guy going to FIU is the least likely guy to be in a church, must, much less lead the ushers, okay? And David, you led a team in sound you know, for quite a while, and Fernando led set up and is now working with the singles. So I'm just saying, I'm trying to envision you guys with that, and then for those older guys... David just talked about having um, memories of when he was young. His father always took the three, he has three sons to church to set up, and then after they set up the chairs, Dad would take him to McDonald's. And so as a 24-year-old man, he still remembers that. And just the idea, men, that if we lead the way, however imperfectly we do it, uh, our sons are going to follow. And that's a generation, and then they're going to do it to their sons. And, and that, that's the idea, generational faithfulness is what we're trying to get at. So I forget the question I asked you. Or maybe Fernando. Or, you know, just, just yeah, just, okay, I'll open it up to some of the other guys. And All right, so I'm not sure where we're going from here. <laughs> what were some of the things that your dad did with you on a regular basis? Yeah, that's good. Thinking <laughs> Although that's very effective. <laughs> First thing that came to mind was watching Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. He, he was kind of a Trekkie. Well, also, also, David also mentioned that uh, when they so so when the church was meeting in a high school, he remembers the they were always there early to set up the children's area, and then when the church finally got their own building, they were the first crew, the parking crew. So they were out. You know, I guess with the fluorescent vests, whatever, parking the cars. Yes. Um, but that, I mean, you know, to me, that's a big deal. I mean, that's like your dad led the way, right? And, oh, and Kipper said that every Saturday of his life, he remembers helping someone move. That was it. Because his dad, 
always helped people move and even has bought a trailer now where he lives in Georgia to help people move. Right. Another thing I would add is that uh, the reason my parents moved to Georgia was primarily to be a part of the church. There you go. When they were in Florida, um, the Cooks who who ended up going to Pastors College and were close friends of ours ended up planning the Georgia Church, um, the Athens Georgia Church, before they even went to Pastors College. My parents felt a calling that at some point in their life they were going to be at their church um, where Paul was pastoring. And so after he, after, they, uh, after he planted the church, they were just waiting for the Lord to call them. And it was five years until that happened. And when a job opened up and my dad's uh, situation um, was so that he could make that move, they just they jumped on it. And they were there to serve Paul, who previously had really nobody, um, no church uh, couples or families that were seasoned in, in sovereign grace and in, in their spiritual walks. Great. I think to answer your question, Marcus, about what sort of things my dad did, like, my dad was a very organized man, but I can't think of like, like whenever we try to do like family devotions, they always fell apart. <laughs> they never worked with, with us, you know. I don't, I don't know if it's just because we're boneheaded sons, but like it never like it wasn't so much that he did these these particular scheduled things at at this time of this of this little week we did this and then we did this. Um, it was just a heart that he had to serve. He just my my parents loved to serve others and to serve the church, um, and I didn't find this out actually until a couple years ago. Um, but I didn't realize when my dad was younger, when he was in college, he graduated from college, and when college is when he was when he was saved, he got involved in in um, a house church in Minnesota where he was living, um, and when he graduated from college, he had some really lucrative job opportunities out um, in Silicon Valley. Um, this is, you know, when all that stuff was taking off. Um, and he turned them down because he couldn't find, he went out there, he couldn't, he couldn't find a church, and he didn't want to leave the, the fellowship that he was a part of. Um, and, you know, he just, I mean, from, so since before we were born, like, my dad has always had that vision for the church being, being central. Um, and he's always demonstrated that for us. And also, um, we just sang a song called House of the Lord by West Coast Revival, so... If you're listening to this, I would encourage you to get, first of all, it's a great CD. West Coast Revival is a, a group of uh, young guys from California that are part of our Sovereign Grace Church out in Pasadena. It's some great music, but one of their songs, House of the Lord, and I love the first uh, verse. Jack started something big when he showed his kids the way they ought to live. Said, money good and money fine, but it won't stand the test of time. Come on, kids, I'll show you where it's at. Follow me, I'll show you where it's at, going to the house of the Lord. So, Listen, I'm not saying that, that you don't go after lucrative jobs. Please don't hear that. Uh, but I, I do say there is a priority, a biblical priority in the church that somehow we've got a little muddled. Um, and so that's it. I think that's the point. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and my dad, he's, he's been very successful in, in the corporate world. Like, you know, he's, he's, he's done well for himself. Um, but he's always kept kept the priority of the church and his family. You know? and, and there were times where that was a little bit harder for him. But um, you know, right. like He didn't give up. He didn't say, well, I'm just not going to be successful. He, he just yeah. said, look, I'm going to make the church a priority for my family. Yeah. And I'm not willing to sacrifice. <clears throat> I'm going to broaden the questions for a moment. Okay. I'll broaden the questions to, I'm going to include three guys here that I highlighted a moment ago. Don't know that you three guys had fathers that would have taught you this. Okay, I'm talking about David, Fernando, and Patrick. All three of you have served as young men in the church. 
Um, so we want to highlight a father that is, that's what we want to go toward, okay? But you three guys, I mean, from the first time you got to the church, I think you were, you were serving. Can you just briefly describe what, what influenced you there? I know the Lord, I know the Word, okay? I'm looking for people, you know, that kind of thing. Can you remember back then, as you launched into serving, what were you thinking? Yeah, my, my, my church at the University of Florida was very similar to Sovereign Grace in its organization and its theology. Um, when calls themselves reformed, but a lot of the practicals and way things were lived out, very similar, heavy emphasis on church planting, on serving. Um, it was in a, an auditorium on the UF campus, and so same similar thing what we have now, just packing it in, packing it out every week. Um, Gainesville gets a lot colder. And just you can pick up the trailer, got to drive the trailer over there at you know, 6.30 in the morning, and it's freezing cold. And, and you just, I, I just saw guys that were, I mean, at that point, you know, they're seniors in college. Like, wow, they're seniors in college, but, you know, you're just this freshman. Um, and, yeah, just seeing a whole slew of men uh, through the leadership of that church, the pastors there, um, just physically just serving, 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 uh, putting on events, um, leading home groups, leading uh, the accountability groups. Like, they, that was all our responsibility as students, leading those groups together, and yeah, it, through conferences and just a whole culture, it's a whole heart, like David was saying, of serving, and um, yeah, it, it just infected me, and realized when I come down here, I have to be doing the same thing. Mm. Like, that is that is my purpose, is to give up myself for the church, and mm. um, it really bless others, and really bless myself. Mm. Uh, Excellent. But yeah, Fernando, Patrick, just thoughts as young men, Obviously countercultural, obviously not what you maybe would want to do just right off the bat Sunday morning at you know whatever time. Sure. Um, I think since we're talking about the generational aspect of it, I didn't I mean I didn't grow up evangelical, I grew up Catholic. Um, and my parents were actually really involved in the Catholic Church growing hmm. up. They weren't they weren't, you know, the, the the cold, you know, show up on Sunday and that's it. They were act, they were actively involved. Hmm. Um, they were involved in uh, family, uh, bringing families together, actually. So it was, it, was, it was a wonderful ministry they were a part of that, that really blessed a lot of people, kept marriages together that would have otherwise have fallen apart. Mm. And they had uh, very, very large leadership roles in this, mm. um, in, you know, director uh, role in this. And, uh, and I, I remember growing up, just going to these meetings at people's houses and being there until one in the morning, and just you know, as a kid, as a as a ten year old, you know, just going into these meetings, and and what they were doing was was pouring their hearts out, you yeah. know, for for families. It was because my father had been so affected, um, and that's why it was my father. Um, there's a story. I don't know if this is now publicized for everybody to know, but it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Um, uh, but he. The the reason why I think he gave himself to the ministry of uh, it was called. Impact in English, impacto in Spanish, um, was because, and and I think there has to be some, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was the gospel, but it wasn't, you know, Jesus Christ solely. Obviously, it was a, a Catholic, but I, I have to think that there was a, a bit of that religious, that that a bit of like God is great that that got him because he would have, he was really contemplating, you know, just divorcing my mom early, really early, right when we were born. And the reason he didn't was because of this. And he, because of this group and because of God's grace, common grace mm-hmm. in, 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 in Catholic Church and, and in this group of impacto, um, 
he, he, he stuck it out, and he was like, he was, he was a changed man, and he really gave himself to family because of it. And he served just so much in this ministry. I mean, growing up, we were, we were always going to the picnics that they had, the, event, the events on Sunday, and, uh, and it, it, just, it, it just changed him. And, and I, I, I was there to see just what an impact they, the both of them had growing up going through these things and so yeah I mean this there's there's stories of my father and my family my mom and and dad just you know even even with Cubans coming to this country you know and and hosting them for months you know our house wasn't that that big and and they, they were just you know they they just arrived exiles from Cuba and they would put them in their house you mm. know and that's just and they weren't even family most of the time they mm. were just people that he knew, you know, and mm-hmm. so this, this whole aspect of serving has just mm-hmm. gone down the line, and I've just, I've just witnessed my father's, particularly my father, I mean, staying with the theme, I mean, mm-hmm. he really does have this just generous heart that yeah. I've just been under for such a long time, and uh, I think that has affected just my, my attitude, and, and so yeah, when I came to the church, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's just built into, I guess, yeah. through all these years, yeah. just go do it. Yeah, so, so. great. Well, I went to church, well, my family went to church, well, at least my brother and sisters did. Um, but my dad, he's an immigrant from Nicaragua, and he worked hard all his life. He's, when he first came moving, he walked blocks to go to work. And uh, and we all, all three of us were born by then. And then, so, the hardworking man was always my dad, always, um, even now to this day. And um, so I was able to see that and able to witness that. And even when, at my old church, even when we was little kids, if the grass needed to be cut, he will help out and cut it. He didn't go to church on Sundays. He'll take my brother and I and help us cut the grass. I mean, help the church cut the grass and, uh, and stuff like that. So, and if we needed to go to church on Sundays, if uh, a lot of the kids in my neighborhood went to church along with me, he'll take all of us. So, yeah, my dad, um, yeah, by uh, God's grace, he took us to church and he did a lot. And um, but but when I when I believe I became a Christian, and uh, that's when I was eighteen, senior in high school, um, started being convicted a lot in the ways I was living and the, the things I was doing. Um, those are really a man in my life, uh, a, a older man that I would look up to. Uh, I had uh, rough times with my pastors, I believe, and uh, it, was, it wasn't smoothing out. But when I came here, and uh, one example I thought of, of of a man that I look up to was Lenny Machen. Oh, yeah. It's great. And the fact that he's leaving, it's, it's tough on me. It's mm. tough. When, when he first told me on the phone, I was, I was, I was stunned. I when I knew that people were leaving for the church plant, I'm like, oh, I think, I believe I can take it. But when Lenny said it, I mm. said, uh, I, mm. I, I, was, I was silent. And, uh, mm. but this, this man I looked up to, I look up to, um, from the very first time I met him, and, uh, his discipleship, the words, I always go to him for counsel. Mm. A man I can call up and just ask and he's ready. Which, which whatever I have to say mm. from broad, broad things, I 
I talk to him about almost anything, and mm. this is a guy I look up to, and and uh, but just think of of man, real man that I look up to, and, and Lenny yeah. Machen. He's uh, one of them. Yeah. Oh, he is. All right, guys. I um, I'm sure we could go on, but I I, I think. I guess, I guess my heart, my passion, you, you heard my passion, my prayer, you heard it when I was speaking. I, I am fired up about this. this. This has been something that's been on my heart for a couple of months now, and Corey and the guys know about it. And Yeah, we got to lead. And you, by the way, you guys are leading. You're here. You're leading. You are leading. You hear me? You are leading. Uh, so I just pray that it's infectious. <laughs> I pray that... The gospel bear fruit in men being committed to the church and young men. I love the fact that we have a lot of young ladies in the church. I think the singles is <laughs> exclusively young ladies. This is an encouragement for, for men who think that their sons aren't listening to them. And that is a real temptation for us. Um, just an encouragement to, to fathers who think their sons you know, aren't paying attention. Um, there was a long period of time where I very openly would tell my dad that I didn't want to hear what he had to say. And we would... Uh, we would talk for a long, very long time. Uh, I think the only way that I would get out of talking uh, or end the conversation was to cry and make him leave the room. Um, like I just didn't want to hear. I didn't. I didn't want to hear. Um, and uh, and that was even at times. I think some of that was even after after I became a Christian. I just still didn't want to. A lot of times, I just didn't want to hear what he had to say. Um, and after I graduated, uh, I moved to Miami. There were. <laughs> I, I, it started to, to surprise me. I felt like some one of those guys, you know, that's like, oh, when I grew up, you know, I remembered everything my father said. But actually, I found myself often, like, I would be doing something, I'd think, oh, man, Dad used to say, you know, such and such and such. And it would be apply exactly to what I was doing or thinking about. Um, and that happened to me. I mean, it, it was almost on a weekly basis, if not more often, that something would come up and be like, oh, man, yeah, Dad used to say this. Mm. And, um, and now I find myself like telling people the same things my dad used to tell me. Um, and you know, I know Patrick's probably heard me say that to him before. Well, you know, my dad used to say. <laughs> and uh, it was always wise. It was so wise. Um, and I, you know, I didn't listen at the time, but it really stuck with me. Um, so. Great. They listen even if they don't say that. Yep.